You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. This is Fair Game number 314. Today's guest is a concessionaire based out of St. Augustine, Florida, from the Pretzel Lady. Folks, this is Samantha Fairley. Samantha, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So tell us about the Pretzel Lady. What do you got going on there? Well, that's an easy question. That's hard to answer. Uh, well, we make hand-rolled pretzels. I, I grew up in the um, fair industry. And back in uh, 1995, I uh, decided it was time to go out on my own. And I've done a little bit of everything, but wanted to be in the food side of being at fairs. And... Um, I'm able to make quite a few food items, but you know, to get good fares and get good locations, you needed something that everybody else didn't have. Right. Not that a pretzel is a new item, but there's just not that many people on the road that actually make a hand rolled pretzel. Right. When you compare that to people that do like uh, hand squeezed lemonade, <laughs> there's right. a few of those out there. Right. Now you said you grew up in the fair industry. Is that, is the concessions business, is that a family thing or? Uh, what is your history there? <laughs> Actually, uh, my father decided to become the uh, black sheep of the family. He's from uh, outside of Boston and uh, moved to Dover, Delaware, and met a gentleman from the carnival in our neighborhood. And he had a really great job with the telephone company and uh, went out on the road with the carnival man for one summer and never went back to work for the phone company again yikes so that was my, it that was it my father um was actually in the game industry back when uh games were uh not like they are today it was more i mean it was more like gambling because, right. you know, we didn't have those things in small towns. We didn't have those things in any towns. So, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of prize every time and, you know, stuff like that. And that's kind of what we focused on. And then somewhere there in the mid-90s, you decided you were going to strike out on your own and you started your own concession business. Did you start with pretzels originally? or were you? What? Well, I did work um, for a relative um, making... Uh, hand tossed pizza. Okay. But yeah, pretzels was the one and only thing I've ever done as an independent. Well, you seem to do it really well. I, I met you guys, um, you know, haven't seen your, your spot there at Clay County down in Green Cove in the spring. And I got to say, the second I saw it, it was one of the nicest storefronts that I had seen for any concessions anywhere in the industry. It is one of the best, I think. And in fact, I think I'd put you up. I haven't seen them all, obviously, but I think I would put you guys up against just about any any place. The second I looked at it, my first thought was, man, this is the type of thing you would see Disney produce. It just doesn't look like anybody else's uh, setup. Thank you very much. And you did send me a short uh, email about that. And I want you to know that when you mentioned Disney, I, that was like the greatest compliment ever. Yeah, I mean, it really, and, and this is not to fault anybody else. I mean, everybody starts someplace, you know, lots of concessionaires start with a pop-up, you know, and, and a jug of lemonade and that's what they're, you know, and they're going to 
grind and grind and grind and work up to something else. You guys clearly in the design of your of your setup um, paid real close attention to, to details and were willing to invest a lot of yourselves and a lot of clearly you've got a lot invested in that trailer. Um, tell us about the setup. Like what made you, you, you could have done a real basic, you know, your standard sort of trailer that just says, hey, hand rolled pretzels, come and get them. But you went with something that looks so authentic. Like I say, that it could be, I, I see it. And I think like food and wine festival at Epcot is the first thing that comes to mind when I see your joint. What made you guys go above and beyond to set something up like that and design that? Well, the truth is I adore Disney. Um, ever since I was little, my favorite, honestly, my favorite part of going to Disney is watching how the other people when they're there behave and react to what Disney has produced. And I just love going to see all the new infrastructure and small details that they change all the time. If you pay attention, you will notice that's like done on a regular basis. I love it. And, um, it just, it was kind of, I don't know. To me, it was just a no-brainer. If you're going to do a hand-rolled pretzel, then why not, uh, you know, put it in something that represents Germany or Bavaria or something that goes along with the item that you're doing. And to be honest, at the time, um, I was married and we had both worked for our families for years and um, we just needed a break. So actually took a year off from the road and was a uh, quote unquote normal person and uh, worked at a bank. And so when we just, one year was enough for me personally, I was itching to go back out on the road. Um, We didn't have any money. We literally built that trailer with no money. I mean, that's in many ways, like the thing I'm most proud of. I actually stayed at the bank for one full year because if you stayed for one full year, you got a $1,000 bonus, which of course, after taxes is $600. Right. So <laughs> we, we did have excellent credit. So um, with the uh, uh, small uh, financial donation from my father-in-law uh, and all of our credit cards, and a little hardware store up in the Catskill Mountains who lent us some credit to buy wood, screws, everything. We built that from the ground up ourselves. So we got an amazing trailer for, um, you know, a lot of physical and mental investment, but not a lot of monetary investment. Wow. And it's held up. I mean. And so you guys built that out. My father-in-law was responsible for the welding. And I mean, he couldn't have done a better job with that trailer that was built in 1995. Wow. So you guys yeah. really, you didn't build this thing out. You know, you don't buy from a custom trailer company and have it built. You guys went from the ground up and you, you did the grind when I'm guessing that was a lot of hours and sleepless nights when all of a sudden something didn't quite line up right. Or how are you going to afford to add this piece or had to have been a, just a tremendous undertaking. That was literally um, May, all all of May, all of June, every single day from the time we woke up till the time we went to sleep. We literally built that in two and a half months. The best part was, <laughs> the best part You're blowing was, me away here, Samantha. <laughs> this is we crazy. Were, 
we were figuring that, um, you know, never actually building a trailer from the ground up before and being a little optimistic, we um, were assuming we'd have about a week before we had to go to our first fair to actually learn how to make a pretzel because our goal was just to build a trailer. Wait, 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 wait. You've built this whole thing out and you've never even made a pretzel. Never made one. Holy God. So, you got to be kidding me. So um, after b- literally burning up every drill bit in the Catskill Mountains, I mean, we, and we used, we used some old, we all used an old drill press. I mean, it was, I mean, looking back now, it really was amazing. It really was fun. But we were um, wiring the brake lights the morning we went to our first fair. If it was never, there was, if there was anything that symbolized the Beverly Hillbillies, it was us going to our first fair. We had no truck to pull the trailer. It, it was great. And thank goodness we went to a fair. I will not mention its name in upstate New York. That was just not good, which, which was fantastic because I was going to say, well, what was your first fair? But we'll skip that part. No, let's not. Uh, we, we got there, um, put the trailer on location, set it up. I mean, everyone, it was beautiful. Uh, went to hook up the water and maybe a couple of the connections for the plumbing. We may have forgotten to put those, weld those together. So we had a nice little leak. Um, but the following morning, we got up two hours before the fair opened and decided maybe we should make a batch of dough and figure out how to make a pretzel. (laughs) So we we had, we had done our research in the meantime, you know, back then we didn't have the internet. So I actually went to the Margaretville library and just read a bunch of different cookbooks with different recipes for pretzels and went to the grocery store and read the ingredients on the back of a hard pretzel. And uh, we had a bunch of concoctions and uh, I, I mean, the other thing that I'm so like, it's, it's really amazing when I think about it. Our very first batch of dough is the recipe I still use today. Get out of here. So it's- You were an anomaly. You were a complete anomaly. Well, I don't let know. Let me tell you what we both were. We were both had constant stomach cramps and honestly diarrhea for like a week when we were trying to open. Just because from the stress like, of, of everything. Wow. We just we just invested everything we have. We literally have nothing. We have this beautiful trailer and we don't even know how to make a pretzel. <laughs> so but you would think that's like you're kind of doing it backwards there. Like most people that you know, you have the family barbecue and people go, Oh my god, this this turkey leg you did or these ribs or the pretzel you made is amazing. Have you ever thought about selling these? That's how the conversation always goes. But you were like, hey, I got an idea. Let's build a pretzel trailer. And the day before we open, we'll figure out whether we know what we're doing. Well, at the time, my husband had a history making fried dough. And I had just recently learned to make pizza. And I go, I mean, for the most part, dough is dough. I mean, we'll figure it out. We really didn't think it would be a problem. And we really didn't think we were going to be wiring lights the day we left for the fair. But um, we went through quite a few mishaps and, you know, pretzels stuck to a pan that you couldn't get off. And we learned, we learned a lot the very first day we were open. And I, I literally can remember it. I have it documented in the little diary. 
3.45 p.m. of the fair, first tray of pretzels came out of the oven that were the right color and didn't stick to the pan. And a husband and wife came up and said, can I get a salted pretzel? I said, of course. They took the pretzel, stepped back. The husband bit it, looked at his wife and goes, this is the best pretzel I've ever eaten in my life. Immediately, my stress went away. And I just, I just looked and I go, well, we're gonna, we're, it's gonna be successful. It's just gonna take time. And wow. the, whole fir- the whole first season was horrible because of course we were building the trailer. We actually paid an artist to do a sketch of what we were gonna build so that we could book the trailer. Right. Right. Cause you can't call someone and go, trust me, it's gonna be pretty. <laughs> of course. So um, the whole first year, we basically just took what we could get and um, which, you know, didn't work out real well. And we found out what areas of the country actually do not eat pretzels. Doesn't matter if they're good. They just don't eat them. Where is that? Where do they not eat pretzels? Uh, oddly enough, in Western New York, if you get past I-88, west of that, they don't eat them. East so like, of that, they, they love them. So like the Erie County Fair would do you no good because it's... I, I did it once. And with, love to, with love and respect to Jess Underberg. Oh, no. <laughs> she's... She, no, she's... Jessica's phenomenal. Yeah. I, I honestly wish um, she was in the capaci- capacity she is now when I was at that fair. Um, but we we honestly couldn't even give the pretzels away. They just looked at wow. us like, what is, what and is it? So it's just an area. It's just a regional yeah. thing where that's just a spot that it doesn't work for you. Yeah. Well, that's part of part of being successful in your business is knowing your market. I mean, with what I do with with my entertainment attractions – um, some of them work in a lot of places. And then one of them, the fortune machine, there are certain spots that I just know I'm like, it's probably not going to be successful there. <laughs> and I just, you yeah. know, I'll, I'll book it. If the fair is like, but we really, really love it. I'm going to be like, okay. <laughs> well, so th- that's what happened for us, right? Every fair we went to, we got the ribbon every fair. Yeah. And then at some point, and you're extremely grateful, obviously, but at some point you're like, okay, well that ribbon can't make our payments. It doesn't pay the mortgage. It doesn't pay for this trailer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously in the end it worked out really good, but we put in, that really did take a lot of emotional and uh, physical uh, commitment to, to make that happen. And we got off the road the first year after we uh, paid our rent for the first month, we literally had no money. We had, we had $20 and we spent it at Steak and Shake. <laughs> Get yourself some cheese fries or something. And then, and then within a week we went out and got, you know, a regular nine to five job to get through the winter till it was time to go on the road again. Yeah. And here you are 26 years later, still going and having survived a pandemic. Indeed. So looking back, uh, uh, looking back at the last year, I mean, almost all of us got kicked in the teeth to some level. How did, uh, how 2020 go for you guys? Uh, I got the Florida state fair in and that was it. So pre pandemic. Yep. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. That would, I looked at my schedule when things started canceling and I lost the Sydney Royal Easter show in Australia. I lost my spring and I lost everything. I looked at my whole thing and early on, probably around May, I said to my wife, 
if there's any fair that's going to happen, it'll be the fair. It'll be the West Texas fair in Abilene. He said, yeah. why do you think that? I said, cause it's West Texas. They don't, they don't care. <laughs> They're <laughs> going. And uh, Rochelle managed to have a safe fair. I know they were down on uh, attendance was down and I know the, the, the carnival, their numbers were down, but man, they had it. They, they went for it. They had a safe event. Um, and I think we've seen that over and over again. I mean, down at Clay County, they had what, a hundred and almost 150,000 people and what they think were somewhere around 30 cases of COVID that were traced to the fair or in some way traced to the fair. Yeah. That's 30 uh, out of 150,000. That's pretty good odds right there in, in favor of having Very a safe good. event. So looking ahead now that the pandemic seems to be winding down. Um, you know, I took a look at your website there at the pretzelady.net and I noticed you got a heck of a schedule this fall. Uh, from Delaware to Minnesota to the Carolinas and everywhere in between over there. Uh, what are you most looking forward to about being back out on the road? Um, my friends. Seeing seeing the people that we, um, you know, that we spend all our time with. It's, it's, it's honestly um, not as fun as it was when I was a kid. Uh, it's work now. <laughs> You know, well, it's not really, I don't know. There were just, when I was a kid, there was something magical about every event, you yeah. know, whether it had a Creek or it had, there just was something a little bit more magical as a grown up. It's, you know, I don't know. I feel, I feel that we're not as, I don't feel, I know for a fact that we're not as social as we used to be. Uh, when I was younger, um, didn't matter what kind of a day you worked at the end of the day, everybody had their awning down, which most places don't let us even have our awnings down anymore. So that kind of might have something to do with it but right everybody had coolers under their awnings with beer and soda and you know you'd go hang out with your buddy for an hour and unwind before he went in and now when everyone's done working everyone like cleans up and just runs back to their trailer yeah close just, the door and yeah yep. and and i think that covid in a good way has actually kind of reminded us that we were missing that because I know that myself, along with a few others, um, when it first started, we, you know, everybody was calling me every single day. And I'm like, all right, I can't spend 12 hours on the phone, guys. I go, let's do this crazy thing everyone's using, this Zoom meeting. So yeah. now, so then we just started every Tuesday, we just started meeting. And, you know, because we were all going through the same thing, but in a different way. And uh, we could spend two hours looking at each other and talking and you know, then get the week caught up at the end. And I'm hoping now that we're going back out on the road and, you know, everyone's doing really well right now that we kind of don't lose sight of how nice it was to actually talk to each other regularly. Right. Yeah. That's um, the handful of fairs that I did. It felt like it, to me, it was just, it, it was almost magic just being back out and connecting mm -hmm. with people forget the shows, forget the, you know, obviously that's we're there to get paid to do as entertainers, but just to see friends again, just to reconnect, going and doing the Florida um, Federation convention in May down in Naples was amazing. Cause it was just like, everybody's here. Yeah. The, the teams back together, you know, and um, certainly I'm sure there's some people along the way who, who didn't make it or, um, you know, reconsidering, you know, whether this is their, where they need to be making their, uh, their money. Was there ever a point during the pandemic where you questioned whether or not you guys would make it through this? Oh yeah, regularly. <laughs> yeah. 
but as far as far as the positive side of it, I did notice um, when we got back because I've only done I did the Scottish games at the Clay County Fairgrounds, which is a one day event. And then I did the Clay County Fair and it was immediately noticeable that in general, everybody was in better spirits. You know, everybody yep. wasn't walking around going, oh, man, you know, you know, there's people are always whining about something. Nobody was whining. Everybody was like glad to be back to work. The customers, I've never had customers thank us for being open. Yeah. We had customers all the time saying, thank you guys for having the fair. And I'm like, I mean, it just really was a good feeling. And I, I kind of hope, I know it's not going to stay 100% like that, but I hope we can keep some portion of that going on in the future. For sure. Well, and, and Tasha and her team down there did such an incredible job. I, I have said it m many times. I think Tasha is one of the, the best young fair managers in the entire fair industry across the whole country. She did a great job uh, managing Definitely. that and, and handling it. Definitely. She did a great job. So what advice do you have for any concessionaires who are out there who may have struggled and are kind of, uh, as we're starting to wind down the pandemic and reopen they may be on the edge about whether or not they can stick it out you got any advice for them um well i don't know if you'd call it advice but honestly i think this year was the year we went through transitions right it was like the five stages of loss and right initially that's why we kind of started meeting each other because we all felt sorry for ourselves like you know what are you just what are we going to do with ourselves? And then, you know, you get mad about it because you have no control over it. There was right. absolutely nothing we could do about it. Um, and then hopefully for a lot of people, it made them kind of reassess what it is they've been doing the last 20 to 40 years when they go on the road. Because the other thing is, is we're, even though we, we move all the time, we still are kind of like a nine to five business in a way you kind of get in a rut in a routine of way of doing things that have just always worked for you. So that's what you do. And yep. um, COVID really, for me personally, made me step back and reassess how I was doing things. Cause you really, you, there's a point when you're in business where you, for me personally, that you just, I stopped thinking you're just kind of going through the motions. You're not stepping back and going, all right, wait a minute. Why am I making that trip out there? And why do I, you know, why do I, why do I have that many items on my menu? And so right. hopefully um, people have learned to step back and reassess and make things a little easier for themselves. And maybe the way you've always done things isn't going to work now. Sure. So, and you know, it is, our business is not very fun. I mean, most people aren't fond of change, but people in our business don't necessarily like change, mm. but, um, that's no, you move a concessionaire 10 feet further down or onto the opposite side of the street and they have a conniption or same thing with yeah. an entertainer. If you say, Hey, you know, we were going to have you on the stage, but we're going to have you out here now and they lose their minds. And it's like, yeah. you know, and, I, it, I mean, I, I get the initial reaction, but ideally wait until you see what happens from that move before you decide to throw a fit. Because sure. you might be surprised. It might not have been that bad of a move. And that now it's hard to take back, uh, you know, behaving uh, like a, I don't know, a spoiled child. It's hard to take, you know sure. what I mean? Once it comes out of your mouth, it's hard to take it back. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I would think for, you know, I know for, I can speak for myself as an entertainer where I've been told, 
um, you know, hey, you know, they're booking, uh, you know, say 2000 square feet of one of our exhibits. And then they put you in a room and they say, okay, you have all the space you need. And you're like, this is a 6,000 foot space. My stuff's going to look awfully sparse in here because I can't <laughs> fill 6,000 square. And, you know, you get to being frustrated and going, this is now my stuff's not going to look good. That's going to reflect poorly on me. And at the end of the day, it's like, I can only control my stuff. If they're going to say, hey, here's all this space. I can either spread it all out and make it look sparse or I just whatever the situation is. And there have been times where I've been able to spread it and use some pipe and drape and whatnot to shrink space and adjust. And there's some times that I've I've said, you know what, I'll spread it to 3000, but I'm going to leave that area open. And that way my spot stuff looks more solid. It's just what you have to do, you know, and I would think as a concessionaire, if you get you show up and you get told, we had an issue with something come in, you know, their fire marshal says you have to be this much space now between, between spots and we got to move you across the street. I would think for you to say, okay, great, let's do it. Go through the motions and then you might find out it worked a lot better. Maybe the sight line's better for your spot or maybe it doesn't work out as well. In which case, then you say to the fair, hey, you know, this, we did have a challenge with this. If maybe next year, if there's a way we can work me back to the other side, that'd be great. Yeah, it's obviously it's all in the approach. Nobody, um, even though our business does tend to lend itself to, uh, you know, I, I've lost my temper several times. Not <laughs> not towards a not towards a, someone I'm in business with though. Right. Not towards a fair manager or a, you know a service provider or something like that. But sure. Um, it's. Nobody, nobody wants to be approached in a, I'm at a loss of words. You know, you don't, you don't want to feel like you're being attacked. Yes. So, and as, and as aggravating it is, as it is with maybe, you know, all the things you've gone through and then you get to a fair and you're expecting it to be what it's always been. And then it changes on you. You're still going to get further ahead. Be, you know, being nice. Yes. You know, you know, the old saying, you get more bees with honey than vinegar. Than vinegar. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and if you consider you show up at the grounds and you're expecting to be in one spot and they have to move you to a different one. That's one change you've dealt with that fair manager, well, your change number 497 that day, <laughs> you right. know, so it's like when you a little empathy for the, uh, the fair planner side of things and, and everything tends to work out a lot better. Um, so I'm curious though, um, kind of back on the, back on the business stuff with 21, what are you guys seeing for food costs right now? Are you seeing costs going up? Well, for uh, pretzel uh, product stuff, not that much. Okay. I'm, I'm very fortunate with that. Um, I do know that um, I have friends of mine, you know, friends and family, uh, fryer oil and certain things like that have actually gone up quite a bit. Sure. Um, shortages are going to continue throughout the season. That's all there is to that. I've been in touch with lots of suppliers and it's just, it's through no fault of their own. It's just the aftermath of all Right. They're still trying to get their, their production ramped back up after, because they had to shut it down the same way we did. I remember I had Dominic Palmieri on the show. You know who he is? Yes, I do. Yeah. So Dom's out there with uh, Odyssey Foods and uh, out of Arizona and he's, he's the, midway gourmet for rcs and when i had him on the show he was like you know i for rcs they do i think the example he gave was like turkey legs you know if they do say across their whole year i don't know a, a half million turkey legs say um they're looking 
one, they can't buy them in bulk because nobody's got them in bulk and they can't afford to do that right now because they don't know what the attendance numbers are going to look like. They don't know, is every fair going to reopen? You know, they would have done this bulk purchase back in January or February. And so right. how do they do that? Well, they have to buy it in smaller chunks and between the, the natural cost increase that way. And then the overall cost increase that they're seeing with Turkey legs, he said, they're spending something like at least at the point I was talking to him, like 90 cents, 94 cents a unit more, right? which you think, well, it's only 94 cents. Yeah, but that's, that's a half not- million dollars. Yeah. Half million or a million dollars in profit, depending on how many units you're selling. That's a lot well, of money. <laughs> and then on the on the uh, very similar but opposite side of that is there's people in that same situation that um, even if they could, the idea thing would have been to buy bulk early to have it, but because they didn't open in 2020, they didn't, ha- they don't have the money to, to put down for that, to hold that. Yes. And, and, and the suppliers themselves don't have enough money to give you the credit to say, okay, when you get back open, you can start sending us money. Sure. But, but all of us are feeling the effects of the shortage of employees. That is going to be everyone. I personally think everyone's biggest struggle. I mean, fairs, if you've been following any fairs on Facebook's, Facebook or their website, they are yep. all got help wanted signs up. Yep. Everybody going to every fair, everybody's short on help. And so far, events are doing really well. So it's it's just kind of a, you know, little sweet irony that we're going to actually have the opportunity to probably have one of the busiest seasons we've ever had with price hikes, stock shortages, and the least amount of employees we've ever had access to. Right. But maybe that's one of those things where it forces you to look at it, what you're doing. I know for one of the, the silver linings, at least from the entertainer side, and I think for the whole industry side is the number of fair boards that have not for now for a year have not been able to say, well, we've always done it that way. That went out the window with COVID and the number of fairs that I've spoken with on this podcast that said, you know, we always brought our traffic in gate five. That's how we parked cars. But then when we did a a drive, drive in movie deal, or we did a drive through fair food thing, we brought them in through gate nine. And you know what we realized (laughs) Traffic moving a lot better, you know, those little things, you know, we realized actually if you spread the vendors out and maybe instead of having 200 food vendors, if you have 150 or whatever the number is, I, I mean, I don't know how many these pairs typically have, but you know, they're being forced to look at things through a different lens. And I've heard really good things from a lot of fairs that said we were pleasantly surprised. And that's, that's something that came out of COVID that's probably going to continue when we reopen. I I 100% agree with that. And that falls back to us just being in a, you know, mindless routine where we weren't really thinking. We just kept going through the motions. The fairs were the same thing. The thing, everything's protocol. You have X amount of food things. The the show always goes over here. The agriculture always goes over here. And this year that all got smashed down and they had to rethink stuff. Yep. So as much as it caused all of us a lot of pain, it's, it's also, you know, I hate to say that because there are people who re I mean, lost a lot of money. I understand that I'm 
also not at the high end of the uh, the income level there, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, a forest fire, you know, it kind of cleans out the old stuff and it's allowing for new growth. And I think yep. there's going to be a lot of positive things that come out of this. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think for those of us that can make it through and for you, we'll see a new day of success that we probably would not have seen otherwise. And to those that didn't make it either because they were forced out because they just, they had to fold or maybe, you know, just like the fair said, well, we've always done it that way. Maybe people that maybe entertainers or people who work for fairs or concessionaires like yourself got to the point where they got a different job during COVID and went, you know what? This is a lot less stressful. This is, I'm a bit, I have more time with my family, with my kids, yep. and maybe they just decide they're going to hang it up and sell the business. Um, I, I just want, I want people to be able to recover from this wherever they do, whether they come back and they sell pretzels or they do a, a magic show or whatever it is they're doing, or whether they say, no, you know what? I got a job as a, you know, in marketing at, at you know, for an airline or whatever. If you're happy, go be happy. The well, one thing that COVID showed us is life is short and you got to quit wasting your time. It's, you know, for me, you talk about getting in that mundane of it's the same thing, rinse and repeat over and over. I feel like every time I drive away to go to a fair, I tear off as fast as I can go to get there, do the thing. And then I come back home and I'm like, I'm literally driving across this country and I'm passing up like museums and national mm-hmm. parks and things that I could stay for a night or two nights and have some kind of an experience. So that's one of the things that as we kind of get back to back to doing what we do that I'm going to, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take an extra day to get to that fair and I'm going to go to, you know, the grand Canyon or, or whatever it is. I'm going to go fishing for a day someplace I haven't been before. There's one thing that really came to light to me over all of this stuff um, and talking with uh, fellow concession owners and businessmen. Um, Our industry has a lot of extremely talented people in it that we, we we change from fair to fair. We've always been flexible. We've always been able to pull something out at the last minute. When something changes, we just react to it and fix it and move forward. But what I noticed is that a lot of the people in our industry don't realize they actually have that skill. I don't think when they, because we talked about some people have moved to another job and they're like, what can I do besides just pick anything? What can I do besides make French fries or what can I do besides move rides? Yep. Um, you can do anything. If you pay attention to the workforce in America and what people actually do, any, almost anybody in our industry could fill any position that's available. Because what I think people don't realize is the, and I'm not trying to say anything negative about the average person, but our business makes us be more than one thing. You have Absolutely. to know how to talk to people. You have to know how to change a tire. You have to know how to fix all your own stuff. You have to know how to manage people. You have to know how to, I mean, there's just endless things. So you could literally walk into any other job and just, you're going to excel right away Yep. because the average person is only good at that one thing that they do. Yep. 
and maybe you don't want to go have a normal nine to five job but if you if you think in your head that you know you're not you're not just there are other options there really yes. are yes yeah we have some very talented people in this industry that that know a lot of things they may specialize in one or two but they know, a, they lot know how to do a lot of things that's right yeah yeah very versatile everybody can't own everything <laughs> yeah so with that said if you could go back and have a conversation with 18 year old samantha what would you say um man i liked 18 year old samantha i would honestly tell her when she hit her 30s to stop being so damn serious amen stop being so serious i've always been a very responsible person but i've actually always been very uh fun loving and outgoing and there just was that period in my life where there was just i let the serious side take over i just had a lot on my plate and just didn't unwind yeah. and i would say listen take the time to unwind because you just i mean I, everybody says, it, but it's true. Life is short. And the last 52 years, I cannot believe how fast they've gone by. And I'm thinking, oh man, how fast is the next 20 years going to go by? I just turned 42. Don't let's stop. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's no time to waste. You know, it's real funny. You mentioned that because I look back at my life and I, I, I've asked a lot of people on the podcast, a quest that question or, or similar version of it. And uh, I think back to when I was 18 and I'm like, I thought, you know, it's typical 18 year old. I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm, I know what I'm doing. And then I took my twenties to accept the fact that I didn't have a damn clue. Exactly. And, and then I got to 30 early 30s 10 years ago and I was like okay I'm starting to feel comfortable in my own skin and now that I'm 10 years later at 42 the only thing I would look so if I could look back at 18 year old Robert I would tell him dude you've got another 15 years to, you know 12 to 15 years before you even feel comfortable so all that discomfort you feel like and all that frustration just embrace it because that's normal and then if I could look back and tell 32-year-old Robert something, it would be um, do a, now that you're comfortable in your skin, do a better job of taking care of your skin. Exactly. <laughs> because my health the last 10 years has been like this roller coaster. And I'm like, no, nah, just a little more consistent. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to do that now. So 52-year-old Robert doesn't <laughs> look back and say, no, really, I was serious. <laughs> I actually was just having a conversation with my son yesterday. And I was saying, um, you know, middle-aged people, 30 to 50 years old, really should pay, and I, I'm going to get like whatever here, but I think it has a lot to do with what's going on in our society. They need to pay attention to the youth in their family and the elderly. When you're young, you're honest to a fault. You see everything because your mind's not full of all the crap we tell ourselves as when we're middle-aged. Right. So they're just more honest about what they see. And older people have the experience of knowing you're not as smart as you think you are. And it's, you know, you're between 30 and 50. And honestly, to me, I feel like that's the teenage years because you think you're an adult. You think you know what you're doing. You just don't listen to the old people and the kids are just kids. What do they know? 
And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe if you listen to them a little bit better, you'd be a better middle-aged person. Yeah. The one thing that's, I think for my generation being at 42, that's really interesting is I'm old enough that I grew up the majority of my youth years were without technology. Yes. Uh, We didn't have a computer until I was probably 12. We didn't connect to the internet until I think I was 15 or 16. Now these kids are born with an iPhone in their hands, you know, and it's, it's, it's it's the new babysitter. Right. And so I, I grew up, my, my late teen and teens and twenties were with that technology. So I, I'm not unfamiliar with it, but I, I, I also see where the older generation goes, Oh, you know, these kids and their phones and they're this, that, and the other, and I'm still young enough to go, yeah, but there's a real value to that phone. If it's used correctly, you know, if all you're doing is using it to fight over politics and post pictures of cats, you might be not using it correctly. <laughs> you I, know? I, I agree with that, but I, I still think that they're, they're very useful. The problem is, is that they're, they're not useful until a young person has all the basics. When they can read and write and think for themselves, great. Now they have this device that can just get them out there. But right. to start with that, I think it actually hinders their reading, their writing, and their thinking for themselves because it's doing it for them. Maybe they're letting, you know, Instagram influencers tell them what to think. I'll make you feel young. I didn't have my first cell phone until I was 31 years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I graduated college when I finally bought my first phone. I I just graduated. So I was probably 21. And that, that was back then when you had to spend like an extra, what, eight bucks a month or whatever to have the nights and weekends start at like 7 p.m. instead of 9 p.m. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> back in that day. Yeah. There was no unlimited texting. These, these young kids, Samantha, they just don't know how easy they've got it. Yeah, but- Back, back no. in my day, we sent text messages. We, we wrote messages on balloons and let them go in the air and hopefully somebody would find it. <laughs> yeah, and, but on that note, we were happier as kids. I, I would not want to be a kid today at all. I mean, there's just something, you know, there was something magical about being a kid back then. And have you ever noticed that kids don't have scrapes and 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 scabs on their legs anymore? It's like they don't even play outside. I oh, my have- kid does. My kid, yeah, Nate's got Nate's got bruises everywhere. Yeah, good. Yeah, he he. Nate does really good. He's ten. He'll be eleven in December. He does a really um, good job of balancing. Um, you know, being outside and running with the dogs and playing catch and doing whatever, and then coming and chilling and playing Fortnite or whatever. <laughs> most well, of them, most of them don't. That's another thing that I saw during the pandemic around locally around the neighborhood was, um, you know, we've lived in this neighborhood in this house for 11 years now. And for the longest time, even though it's a very young neighborhood, like there's the Albuquerque schools education complex that has, it's the one area in the district that's got the elementary, the middle school and the high school are all on the same block. They're all yep. right there. The, um, the soccer fields are there. Everything's right there. And so it's when they built this area, it's, it was going to attract young families like ours. We never saw kids out playing because they're yep. all sitting in their rooms, playing Fortnite, connecting with their friends that way, which is cool. They're connecting that way, but there's a value to being outside and discovering and, and being, being outdoors. During the pandemic, the number of people we saw walking in adults too, walking their dogs, kids out riding their bikes, out on their skateboards, messing around with each other, you know, um, doing 
laying in the grass, doing whatever, getting grass stains. That's when I was like, okay, that feels a little more like when I was a kid. Exactly. <laughs> I remember that. Exactly. I just feel like too quickly, that's just going to all go back to the way it was though. It might, it might, but hopefully for some, they say, no, there was some, maybe that's where human beings, not just fair boards go, you know what, there's some value to this change. And we're going to make sure we go out every night and walk the dog and, and spend some family time outside. Yes. Hopefully. So, well, listen, Samantha, it's been wonderful talking with you. We're just about out of time here. Before we go, everyone who comes on the Fair Game podcast gets a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions. Okay. You give me your best answer for each. Are you ready? I am ready. Question number one, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Excellent. When you fly, window seat or aisle seat? Aisle. Name a fair you've never attended, but you'd love to go to? Uh, Texas State Fair. Amen on that one for sure. Uh, last book you read? Oh, okay. That's a really hard one because I do audio books now because I drive okay. all the time. Last one you listen to? Um, and, <laughs> and she's like, and I don't remember the name of it because I'm, I, I can blame it being on 52, but it's not, I'm horrible at remembering names. If they, uh, so what I'll tell you is I do not read fiction. Okay. Um, I only, you know, it was probably a book by Jordan Peterson. Oh, cool. I got his yeah. right on my shelf behind me. I haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, you um, got to. It's excellent. His, yeah. His, uh, 12 rules is right there. Oh yeah. You better get on it. We, this, not, these... not going to learn anything with it sitting on the shelf. <laughs> but these are all the ones I've already read this year. And you have to understand why this is an accomplishment for me. That's Before big. I started reading these in November, back in November of 20, I started reading again. I probably hadn't read five books in the prior 10 years. And yeah. I've read all these and, and, and I've got two more I'm working on simultaneously right now. So I'm getting That's there. Excellent getting there okay uh back to the the questions uh favorite vacation destination uh disney yeah girl <laughs> i'm all about it and last question a movie is going to be made about your life which actress would you want to play you um not i wouldn't want her to play me but i've already people already tell me that that kathy bates would be me <laughs> <laughs> excellent i could see that I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Kathy Bates is she's she's pretty funny. Like uh you know, the the way she's always acted, it's whether she can go real deep drama, like when she did misery, or whether yeah, she can wisecrack things is like when she's Molly Brown on the Titanic and the you know, everybody knows how in Titanic how this movie's gonna end. And right. she's wisecracking the whole way through. So she's she's phenomenal, fantastic actress. She actually had a really good uh show on that was only one season where she was a lawyer okay did you see that it i don't, was, I don't recall real really good it was like you know it had a little bite to it and it only was one season and they took it off the air see that's it's so rude it is rude <laughs> completely disrespectful samantha where can folks learn more about the pretzel lady thepretzellady.net thepretzellady.net and she's got her uh, fall summer and fall tour schedule so if you are one of those fans of the pretzel lady you can find out where she's going to be she got her tour schedule up there samantha fairly owner of the pretzel lady it was a real pleasure talking with you today thanks for coming on the show thank you for having me i truly appreciate it you've been listening to the fair game podcast fair game is a production of robert smith presents 
For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.